What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. We are here with our super producer, Noel Greenlight Brown. And you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen. What's it? Uh, it means this is car stuff. Oh, yeah, of course it's car stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, Greenlight Brown, by the way. That's a funny name. Yeah, we... Uh we, that nickname actually came about in a moment of inspiration because, uh, you know, Noel is a man of many monikers, right? Of course. And that's one of the reasons that we work so well with him because you and I used to have quite a few uh, AKAs. Yeah, you know, we've been getting a lot of those recently in email as well. Some people have, uh, I don't know if, have we talked about that in the past, like send in some or something? Because We, we have it, a while ago, It though. seems like. Recently, we've had this huge group of emails that have come in, you know, from listeners that mm-hmm. uh, have some nicknames. I, I, I appreciate them always because mm-hmm. uh, they're really funny. Yeah, so um, they're pretty great. We have to read very, those on the yeah, air. Very so clever. So, uh, yeah, keep doing that. And, uh, you know, we'll try to come up with some on our own here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this nickname, uh, Green Light Brown, we were uh, I, w- I was waiting at an intersection. And if you are a commuter uh who drives in a crowded area ever right then you are familiar with the weird the weird thoughts that come to you while you're just waiting at a red light Mm -hmm. you know the radio could be on or off and you're you're looking around who's that what are they doing yeah sometimes you have an awful long time to wait as well oh yeah to the point where you think is that red light broken which is something we will talk about later in this episode because today ladies and gentlemen we are talking about traffic lights. Yeah, traffic lights, traffic signals, mm-hmm. uh, traffic lamps, uh, traffic semaphores. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about all this stuff. I mean, there's a lot of different names for these um, traffic control signals, whatever you happen to call it. Mm-hmm. I always feel awkward. I think there was an episode recently where I was saying traffic signal or traffic light, mm-hmm. and to me it just didn't sound right for some reason. And I, I kept second-guessing myself, but there's all these different names for them. And all it really comes down to is a traffic control system that really – when we go back in history, we find that it just replaces the policeman at the intersection. Right. And uh, just an interesting side note here. In some other countries, uh, there are still human traffic directors that will stand there and direct traffic um, it, with hand signals similar to the way that someone would help a plane land on a runway. Uh, the country I'm thinking of, of course, is North Korea. Ah, 
which is um, you can still see traffic, uh, human traffic people directing cars in the capital city of that country. Do they wear white gloves? Uh, I think they do. I think they have a uniform. They're all women and they have, um, if I, if I recall, someone correct me on this if I'm, if I'm off here, a blue and white uniform and then like a, you know, like a baton thing. You know, I can picture this. It's, I, I, I may have seen this in the past, but it just seems like a, a, a crystal clear image. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked about the white gloves. Yeah. Um, it's a, I know it's a weird thing to ask, but that's for visibility. Mm-hmm. So you can see what they're, what they're motioning. And that's the way that it used to be all the time at every busy intersection in every, Busy city, right? Um, you know, and you know, of course, there are other ones where they would just let them go. I mean, you know, that uh, you know, was, but in the right in the down the heart of downtown, they would often have police officers that were you know set to patrol there or to to direct traffic there um, for their entire shift. I mean, that's all they would do, and it would be shorter because it's exhausting to do something, right? Like that, and it's very dangerous. No kidding. Um, and there's always going to be a place for that, you know, in the world. There's going to be sporting events. There's going to sure. be uh, times, you know, after work here in Atlanta. A lot of, uh, I don't know how this works exactly, but I don't know if, um, you know, companies pay for this or what, but we find in traffic a lot of police officers out in the middle of traffic directing traffic at, you know, critical rush hour times. Right. Um, let's say that, uh, you know, like this is a big building right here. Sure. Well, I haven't seen this yet here at this building because we're not to capacity yet. But once we do get to capacity, I'm sure that around five o'clock every night, uh, there's going to be a, a police officer out on one of the main stretches or, you know, several of the main roads right mm-hmm. here directing traffic in and out so that, you know, everybody doesn't get stuck in the building. Uh, he, he allows for a, a certain amount of people to get out at a time. And uh, it just keeps things flowing a little better than the than the uh, normal traffic light system would do, because it's not timed correctly when, to, you know, to take into account the greater influx of people from this building or from whatever building or right. whatever event is happening at the time. Yeah, I uh, in my head, I call these uh, left turn cops because they're there to prevent parking decks from being just uh, cluttered uh, with with cars that can't get out because everyone's trying to make a left-hand turn on a busy street with no light. However, since that traffic is momentary, right, or it is, it only occurs at a certain time during the day, it doesn't make sense to build a traffic light system or to build a new node in the traffic light system, really, uh, into the, the larger landscape of the traffic. So there's this, there's this fascinating thing. I, I know sometimes, and I, I think this has happened to everyone listening, but if it hasn't, man, I envy you because, uh, what we're about to talk about is a great feeling. Scott, have you ever been, at, on a straightaway where you see like a bunch of lights, maybe every two, three blocks, right? Yeah. And then you hit that just that magic sweet spot where they're all green. Mm-hmm. Has it ever happened? Yeah, it has happened, but it's pretty rare. I mean, yeah. if you're in a city, you know, typically unless you're doing this on like a Sunday morning when no one's around, you're not going to be able to just free flow through the streets of tra- you know through the streets right. like that without uh, you know having some kind of obstacles in the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's more traffic, it's pedestrians, whatever it happens to be. Someone, you know, uh, making a delivery in the, uh, in the next building down the, ru- mm-hmm. down the block, um, you know, blocking a lane of traffic or whatever. Um, you're talking about cascading lights, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now that's cascading. And the other type is synchronized. And synchronized are the ones that change all at the same time. So, you know, you see a, a row of lights like you're talking about. And, and they, they all go red. Yeah. All at one time. Yeah. And where they all go green. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's fine. It seems kind of cool that it happens that way, but, uh, the frustrating part about it that is you're only going to make one or two of those and then you're going to get stuck in the next red light. Right. And there are some other types, of course. There, There's the dynamic control, which responds to the frequency of traffic on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
but let's not let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because I think the one thing that you and I can absolutely agree on is that we were uh is overwhelmed a, fa- a fair word, Scott, uh, for how much information there is? That is uh, that's perfectly fair, and I think even more. There's there's so much information out there about traffic signals or traffic lights. Uh-huh. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, I didn't think that there was going to be a whole lot to this, mm-hmm. um, other than you know, I know there's complex controllers. I get that. Right. However, there's so much more to these things than just that, and and not only that, there's different nationwide standards. Uh, you know, between. Uh, what happens here in the United States that we're accustomed to, right. what's happening elsewhere in the world. You know, the different uh, light colors, light mm-hmm. uh, light patterns that uh, they use. Light um, arrangements. Uh, arrangements, that's yeah. right. They use uh, uh, pictograms instead of instead of just standard lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of different variation that going, going on here. And uh, I was just I was just blown away by the amount of information that we found on this. So. I I really don't think we're going to get through all of my notes here, and <laughs> and you know I do this all the time. I and I was thinking about this today. I'm looking at my notes, and and tell me if you think I'm I'm right here. Do you remember that scene in Eight Mile when uh, Eminem, oh excuse me, Rabbit was on the uh, the uh, the public bus and he was writing all of his uh, his rhymes down? Yeah, yeah, it's like for, a montage. Yeah, yeah. For, for the rap battle, right? Uh-huh. And he's writing down, and it's the tiniest little print, and it's just packed in, and it's every direction. That's what my notes look like today. And they are pretty, yeah, they're pretty thorough, man, they're, even for you. They're close. I mean, and they're packed in so so mm-hmm. tightly that I had to uh, use markers to outline sections so I can keep those separate. Right, uh, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. So where do you want to start with this? Maybe history? Yeah, let's just walk through uh, the the history in a brief overall look. So we know that traffic signals, and of course, whenever we look at history, we have to look at caveats. So let's say it this way. The first... Uh, the first traffic light, quote unquote, uh, that we know of was installed in December of 1868 and was right outside Parliament on this place called Bridge Street uh, with the intersection of Parliament Street and Great George Street. And they were installed by a railway guy. Yeah, this is a, uh, a non-electric light. It was a gas lit light, a traffic light. And um, kind of strange in the way that this all came about. But again, this uh, this was developed or adapted from the the railway system mm-hmm. uh where you know red means stop or and green meant go and um they they decided that this would be a good way to you know deal with this brand new problem that they had in in uh in where was this london london yeah, yeah in london where they said well you know now we've got we're going to have some cars on the road uh-huh. uh we're also going to have um you know carriages maybe at that time exactly so. right there's pedestrians there's all kinds mm-hmm. of you know there's lots of traffic going on it's a busy city even back in 1868 of course but this was a problem railways had already encountered for a much longer time true 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 so they're 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 using the same system the same way of uh, of saying yeah it's okay to go or you need to stop right there uh for this uh this this intersection right. and at the intersection the problem was somebody had to manually operate it yeah, these were, uh, this is, I think you already mentioned it before, Scott, uh, these were semaphore. This was a traffic semaphore mm-hmm. system. Uh, and, a, and a semaphore is, uh, if you've ever been riding a train or you've seen a train go by, a semaphore is um, like the little arm, the, the rectangular thing that goes up that says either do not go or continue or caution. And this had been used uh, beforehand on train systems for a while. So it makes sense logically for this to be used um, in in a new kind of traffic environment, right? Mm-hmm. However, as you said, 
this this thing was um, it had lamps for nighttime use, right? And gas gas lit nighttime use. Very very forward thinking for its time, uh, and it was manually operated by a police officer. Yeah, a traffic police officer who was uh, who was stationed at that lamp, who was supposed to you know reach up and and switch the light around so that people could see it in whatever direction of travel they were they were right. uh, coming from. So. Um, the problem was, uh, the use of this thing was very brief. They didn't use it for very long. And the, yep. the reason is a bad reason. Um, yep. so we said that, you know, the 9th of December, I think in mm-hmm. 1868, mm-hmm. by the 2nd of January in 1869, the, the following year, I mean, we're talking like how that's less than a month. Yeah. That's less the, that's yeah. It's a little bit less than a month. Uh, and a, Gas line leaked. Yeah, a, a leak developed in this thing. I mean, I would guess because of the constant turning and the uh, constant, you know, activity at that lamp. And uh, this is awful, Ben. The, uh, the 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 gas line leaked, and they think I, I don't know if it injured or if it killed this policeman. Uh, but there was an explosion uh, yeah. from this lamp, so that was the end of the very first um, non-electric traffic light. But um, so it was very, very short. It, it was a you know a significant amount of time later before we finally decided that uh, electric might be the way to go with these. Yeah, the concept was abandoned, at least for gas-powered traffic lamps, uh, just because it looked like such a health risk. It wasn't until, uh, let's see, around early 20th century, 1912 or so, uh, that a guy in Utah, in Salt Lake, decides, uh, I'm going to try this again, but I'm going to try it with electricity as the power source. Yeah, and he's still going to use the red and green. He's not. Uh, we're not up to the point where we use yellow at this point. Right. Uh, and I think that, you know, the, the way that they got around this is that they said that the officer would indicate that he was going to switch the light. So that it wasn't like just, a, uh, you know, switch it to red real quick and you get a ticket. Right. Um, it yeah. wasn't like that. It was There was some kind of indication, whether it was blowing the whistle, it was a, um, you know, an audible, you know, uh, just yelling out, hey, I'm going to change the light or whatever, something like that. And it wasn't long after that that, you know, these copycat systems started to come out. And in, this is in uh, about, what, 1914, August of 1914? Yeah, yes, uh, When they started to be installed in Cleveland, Ohio. And again, two colors, red and green. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one also had a buzzer, right? Mm-hmm. And this was this buzzer was the system for uh, warning for color changes. So if you're... Uh, barreling down the straightaway there, Euclid Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, guys, just for the record, I, I haven't driven that street. I don't know if it's a straightaway. <laughs> but anyway, if you're barreling down and you see you see that you've got the, the green signal, but you hear this buzzer, then you know that it's about to turn red. And that, that's a neat idea. This design also allowed um, emergency assistance and first responders to control the signals manually in case uh, there was an emergency. So we're getting just a, you know, a little bit of, um, I guess, evolution as we go on. Year, year by year, there's just, they're, they're improving just a tiny little bit, uh, like with the addition of the buzzer. And, uh, you know, okay, the initial one was uh, going from gas to electric. That's a huge one, right? Right, that's but, a huge But job. adding the buzzer, that's pretty big. But in 1920, uh, that's when we have what is probably what we could consider the, the modern traffic signal. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is what we all know and recognize. And this is the first four-way, three-color traffic light that was installed or created, rather, by a police officer named William Potts in Detroit, Michigan, in 1920. Yeah, uh, this this is a big thing because it's, it's a four-way, so it's mounted at the center of an intersection, and it's a cylinder with, uh, or excuse me, it's rectangle with four sides, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you have you have 
three colors on each side in the same pattern, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the uh, you've got the red at the top, the yellow in the middle, and the green at the bottom. And again, this is manually operated. Right. So, can you imagine the difficulty of, of operating twelve lamps? You know, three in each direction um, from this tower. And that's the other thing is that this was installed in a tower. It's part of a tower. Um, you, I guess I don't know if you. <laughs> I mean, when you look at the picture of this, uh, this this initial tower, this traffic tower, it was at Woodward and Michigan Avenue um, in Detroit. And, the, you know, the officer would stand in the tower and switch the lights. So and when we say it's recognizable, I mean, it does have the three lights. It, it does have the same idea, I guess, as a standard traffic light. Right. But um, look at the tower and you'll and you'll see that it's it's a way outdated way of doing things, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but these towers then started to pop up all over the place. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, these these towers started to pop up, I guess, within, oh, let's see, about over the next two, two and a half decades or so, there were more than 600 intersections in Detroit with these lamps. Yeah, 600 intersections with these. Now, I think in one year, they had something like 15 towers. So, I mean, it, yeah. it grew that quickly. And then, as you said, you know, by, by that time, 600 signalized intersections in Detroit, that's an awful lot. And this is uh, what you said. You know, that was 26 years later. This article that I'm looking at was was written in 1947. Right. Yeah. And they're talking about, you know, that's more than 11,000 lamps in service by 1947. And there were more than 36,000 signalized intersections across the United States at that point. Yeah. And it's a it's an interesting um, it's an interesting evolution because it happens so quickly. And the reason it happens so quickly is because regardless of how you feel about getting stuck behind a red light, the fact of the matter is that they save lives. I don't know if, I don't know if driving in cities would be possible without something like this. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And we've, <laughs> of course, that's not to say there are not some places in the world where driving in the city, even with a light, or a traffic director is <laughs> is still a very very dangerous game. No, no, no. And you can see clips of that on YouTube. But uh, but we know that this stuff is still, as we said, manually operated. We don't see the the um, we don't see the first interconnected traffic signal system for a little while. Well, now uh, now Los Angeles installs its first automated signals in 1920, right? The first non-manual ones. Yeah, sure. But uh, again, they're not interconnected like you're talking about. It's Mm -hmm. all the way until about 1917 uh, when the first interconnected traffic signal systems were were developed. And that was in Salt Lake City as well. So there there are innovators out there. Yeah, and it was pretty small, um, the system itself. It was just six intersections. They were controlled at the same time from a manual switch. Mm -hmm. And now we have cities that literally run... Well, actually, central computer systems that run thousands of intersections at a time uh, from one central control station. I mean, and if you go across the United States, I think there's something like uh, I want to say it's 500 individual, um, you know, independently operated and owned oh, yeah. uh, traffic control system operators or operating systems, I guess. And I don't know if I'm saying that the right way, but they own proprietary systems right. that are distinct and different from the city next to it. Um, and, and that becomes a problem. There's no real, uh, real connectivity between different cities. Yeah. I don't know. Is that a problem really? But the thing is, there's no standard. Yeah. There's no standard. And having no standard can always be problematic over the long term. Just like, um, 
just like trying to connect railroad tracks with different gauges, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I think well, we're getting off track. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, but let's let's carry on with uh, just a little bit more history before we get on okay. to some of the types and okay, all that. Yeah, so yeah. I, I hope I didn't cut you off. No, no, there, not but, at all. All right. So to take you know this interconnected idea just one step further. Um, they, they finally had automatic control of these interconnected lights, ah. um, in Houston, Texas in about 1922. So that was just about five years later. Um, and then there's the, uh, the first traffic lights in England, finally, mm. right. uh, in 1926. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, uh, but we don't see the first entire traffic signal system of a city computerized um, until 1963. And right now, that is the closest thing there is to a standard, a computerized system that is, at the very least, largely automated. Mm -hmm. And again, we will talk about these numbers in a little while here. But uh, again, literally thousands of intersections that are that are controlled by one central system. I think it's kind of cool because just the uh, the elaborate organization needed for that mm-hmm. and the calculations required to to make that happen uh, th- those amaze and befuddle me. But honestly, Scott, you know me, man. There's still to me it seems like there's uh, something 
I guess Chuck from Stuff You Should Know would call it hinky. There's something a little bit off about it because I'm wondering why hasn't there been an action movie yet where bank robbers hack into the traffic light system. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know so what they I mean? can uh, make the fast getaway or stop everybody else in the way or create gridlock. Right. Um, you know, the Italian job, they did something like, they did it manually, obviously. They just created a traffic jam. You know, the yeah, biggest traffic yeah, yeah, jam. yeah. And they did the same thing with the, uh, you know, they did the one in Italy and they did the one in L.A., and it was the same thing. It was supposed to be like the biggest traffic jam ever in, you know, in the world or something right, like that. Right, that story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, there are manual attempts to do something like that. But you're right. I wonder why there hasn't been a uh, an action movie that has shown, you know, a, a more of a high-tech way of shutting down a city. Yeah, I guess maybe it's just really hard to get into it. Or perhaps a lot of people don't know uh, about how these traffic light systems work. So uh, let's... Let's see. Where do you want to go with this guy? Oh my gosh, there's so many different places. <laughs> I, uh, we could talk about types of lights. We could talk about um, you know some of the older stuff. We could talk about phases. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, and, you know, the basics. I don't think we really have to cover the basics. I mean, yeah. but 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 one thing, you know, one thing I just want to mention. I say this. I've said this a few times over the years of car stuff and and even high speed stuff. Have you ever seen a traffic light or a traffic signal? Sitting on the ground when it's being serviced, you know, like if they take it down from the, uh, from yeah. the pole or and set it on the on the concrete oh, next to the road, they're huge. They're enormous. They're like five <laughs> feet tall or something. I mean, they're they're big. It's 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 very deceptive how big these things are. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're up on the pole or you know hanging on the wire that's you know twenty feet above right. or wherever yeah. it is, you have no idea how big these things are. But they're massive, and and then it gives you you know a little bit of pause when you think like, well, you know, I've been through this intersection before when there's heavy winds. And you see those things kind of blowing horizontal. Yeah. Uh, man, that's scary. Now, when you think about it, you know, if one of those were to come crashing down, that could do some serious damage. Oh, and I'm sure it has occurred. Oh, yeah. And that's why, you know, in, in uh, hurricane regions, that's one thing that, you know, I found is that, uh, you know, places along the shore, the coastline here, uh, that are susceptible to hurricanes, they have a separate set of standards for the way that these things are, um, you know, um, Posted at these intersections, right? The metal, the the metal R, right? It looks like a lowercase R, or even more than that. It's almost like a uh, like a full structure, like with four corners that that oh yeah yeah every single one of them. It's very very heavy mm-hmm. duty way of, of putting it up, but you can't just throw a you know something that's that large and that heavy on a wire, you know, right outside of uh, you know a, a, let's say uh, you're just off a of barrier barrier island or something. Right. And uh, you're going to have winds blowing through that are 90-plus miles an hour constant. I mean, you can do it, but you'll have to replace it every, what, two years? Yeah, and, you know, I mean, just the uh, the risk to citizens. That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was being uh, thrifty about it, but you were being a humanitarian, <laughs> a responsible civil engineer. Sure. Uh, okay, so we know that. All right, we we talked about types, right? So let's let's talk about the light itself, and then build up to the overall systems. Okay, so uh, so if you have one lens, mm-hmm. it's called a single aspect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just the the basic stuff you're thinking of when it's flashing red, it's a stop sign. Flashing yellow, watch out. Uh, flashing green, it can mean a couple things depending on where you're going. I don't think I've ever seen a single a single lens flashing green. Stoplight. I think it might be a Canada thing, man. Oh, maybe. I, I don't I, know. I'm not sure. I don't sure. know if it's a U.S. thing, but uh, maybe somebody can write in and tell us, especially especially those of you out there uh, who take uh, long trips for work, uh, especially truck drivers, because mm-hmm. you guys will often be the ones who uh, have the best chance of seeing the weirdest traffic stuff. Yeah, some of that oddball stuff out yeah. there. All right, so um, dual aspects are, are two lenses, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, typically, these are red-green, like the old signals were, way right. back when. 
And uh, one example I can think of this is, uh, you know, when you're getting on the freeway. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one car per light, and it, and it flashes between red and green. There's no yellow yeah. in between. It's just red, green, red, red green, green, red, green, back and forth. And it, um, that's about the only example of a dual aspect light I can think of, unless it's in an intersection where, you know, it's typically flashing yellow, but at certain times of day they switch it over to flashing red. I've yeah, seen yeah. that as well. Yeah. Uh, then there's uh, three or more aspects, the the tri-aspect or the multi-aspect one. And, you know, that's the one that you'll most likely see, at mm-hmm. least here in the States that's, and in uh, that's, a lot of other countries. Yeah, that's the old red, yellow, green. And the old standby, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, this, the arrangement might change depending on the country in which you find yourself, but it should be clearly recognizable, right? Well, it's typically the red on top, green, yellow in the middle, green on the bottom. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, because we talked about that in the... Uh, the uh, the street sign episode yeah. recently, yeah. Uh, you know, why red's always on top and green is always on the bottom, except in that one instance in, uh, where was it, New Jersey? or New York? right. Yeah. It was in New York somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, it was a, uh, a borough, I guess, that has a uh, predominantly Irish community, and uh, and they wanted the green on top of the red. So Everybody's uh, got to be different. Yeah, I guess so. So there is one exception here in the United States. But um, I think what you're getting at there is maybe the horizontal mounting, too, because, you know, yeah. sometimes they mount them horizontally. Mm-hmm. And just to answer the question, which maybe you have, maybe you don't, but I, I found it interesting, is that if you're a country that drives on the right-hand side, the green light will be on the right-hand side when you approach that light that is mounted horizontally. If yeah. you drive on the left-hand side, the green light is going to be on the left-hand side. Ah, yeah, I know, Ben. It's not rocket science or anything like that, but uh, I felt it was worth pointing out, anyways. I feel that the first time I drive on a different side of the road, legally, I mean, I will be, uh, <laughs> I will already uh, be so alert and aware of that kind of stuff that I might just not even notice. I might just go, "Okay, it's green." Go. Probably, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can tell you, I don't even recall seeing any that were horizontally mounted when I was in Ireland, but uh, yeah. there must have been. And I'm guessing that they were on the left. I'm sorry, yeah. the green light would have been on the left. Yeah, and I guess you just you drove with it. But uh, that makes sense. The No, traffic signals aren't just for roads, right? We know that they're also for, uh, like, locks on the Mississippi River, you mm-hmm. know, to let you know uh, a vessel's passing through um, or that the lock chamber's being empty or filled. Uh, or if it's green, then you can take your ship through. Mm-hmm. And if you happen to be in Canada, Ben, you know, if you're in, the, you're in the province of Quebec or the maritime provinces, the lights are often sideways, but each one is going to have a different shape. Now, the red light will be square, which is, uh, you know, it's typically a circle here in the United States. Um, and they, they could be in pairs at either end of the fixture. So that's a little different as well. And the yellow will be a diamond shape. And then the green will be just a standard circle. So they've got even different shapes of lenses in Canada. A completely different system. Which I like the idea of having a different shape, like a larger shape or something, because that'll help differentiate um, things, especially for people, you know, for the few members of the population who are color blind or color deficient, the pattern of the lights is very important. That's a good point. I was wondering why they would even bother with that, because if you can still see, you know, that's a red light, that's a yellow light, what what does it matter what shape it is? But you're right, it's for a color blind, right? Yeah, we're, uh, as a color deficient person, we're just, we're, we're dangerous. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to say color blind. It's color deficient? Or? Well, well, technically what I have is color deficiency. Oh, because oh, okay. I can't differentiate between, um, you know, some, some shades of different colors, but mm-hmm. it's not, 
it's not like a black and white film noir for, film for me. You're uh, color challenged. <laughs> right. Yeah. I like to say color interested. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the only time that really pops out for me is if I'm at the optometrist and uh, he'll, you know, hold up the little, he or she will hold up the, the little circle with the different colored dots and you have mm-hmm. to try to see the number. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it, I, I know it's 76 because people have told me. <laughs> but I can't see. So you it. cheat on your eye exam. Well, uh, I have not cheated on the eye exam. Oh. I have been fairly, fairly honest about it. Well, that's good. I mean, it's only for your own benefit. Right. Yeah. I don't think you win anything if you cheat on an eye no, exam. No, you don't. You do not. But we're getting off track. And that was, that was my bad this time. Yeah, way, way off track. All right. So, so how about this? Let's talk about, um, the lenses. Yeah, um, it's just like there's there's so many little things like this. I think maybe we should just chip away at all this stuff and we'll see how much we can get into this episode. Yeah, let's that? let's go. All for right, that. so let's talk about the lenses. There's they they use typically um, Fresnel lenses. Now Fresnel lenses were invented in about the 1820s, wow. and we're still using them in these in these lamps. And I'll tell you why we're using them. In and that's because it's just a great design. I mean, it makes perfect sense with with this application. They were originally developed uh, for lighthouses. Again, back in the 1820s. And the idea is that the lens captures more light from a, a single light source, you know, that's behind it, uh. Uh, than a standard cut lens would. Let's say you just have a flat lens. It's not going to pick up the same thing as a Fresnel lens will. Oh, okay. uh, so it's going to gather more light, and it's going to direct that light into whatever direction you direct it, you know, via the way that the glass is cut. Um, in this in this case, it would be towards traffic, you know, so that somebody can see that lamp. It's it's They're, they're, they're cut in a, a directional pattern so that, the traffic that's approaching sees it more clearly than the traffic coming from the opposite direction or a lane that is off to the side that shouldn't be looking at that light necessarily. You know, a turn lane light versus, uh-huh. um, you know, a, uh, a through traffic light. So, um, again, you know, it's, it's just a smart way to do it. And, and you can see it from a greater distance because there's more light there. Uh, it just, it just makes perfect sense to use this, this lens, even though it's something that's been around for, uh, boy, we're talking almost 200 years at this point. Wow, this is one of the nerdiest anniversaries we could throw. Maybe we should do, maybe we should do a special celebration. Possibly. And you, you know, one thing though, can you, can you remember the first time you saw lenses that had the LED lamps instead of, um, instead yeah. of, you know, the, the, uh, the, the old ones that were lit with a light bulb behind them? Right. Yeah. You know, I was just about to bring that up because LED lenses are probably going to be the future of traffic lights just from a cost perspective. The amount of the amount of work you get out of them versus the the higher cost of the LED, which is going down and has been going down for a while, uh, I think it means that um, I think it means that the regular incandescent or fluorescent light bulb traffic lights have their days numbered. Oh yeah, and you know I'll tell you about those in just a second. But the LEDs, I mean, they they use less power. Um, you know, they, they last longer because you know that filament. There's no right. filament. There is no filament to burn out. Um, they also, um, they also arrange them in patterns so that, and I know you've seen this already, that some LEDs do fail. I understand that, but it's right. not just one that's, that's powering this whole thing. It's, it's a huge array of LEDs. Ooh. So, so, you know, let's say that even 10 go out in a, uh, in a red or green lamp, you're still going to be able to see that that's a red or green lamp, but, uh, you know, th- there's going to be less problem with them burning out, you know, so that, uh, there's, there's no indicator at that intersection. I've, I've had to deal with that recently a few times, um, on the way into here, you know, really? some of the, some of the downtown Atlanta lamps on the smaller back streets, um, oftentimes, you know, there's, there's maybe one or two lights hanging so you can see, you know, what it's supposed to be, but you come up and there's one that's just empty and it doesn't, you know, 
light up at all until oh, yeah. until it goes back up to yellow or red. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. you know if the green is missing or whatever. Those um, uh, man, those are the pits. And and I'll tell you, you know that those are the old conventional lighting systems, the one with bulbs, and the ones that do use bulbs. This is kind of strange, Ben. They use either sixty-seven, sixty-nine, or one hundred and fifteen watt medium-based bulbs, and medium-based bulbs are just the same kind of light bulbs that you would use, like, in the lamp in your house. Right, yeah. So isn't that weird to think that that is actually what is power? And they're pretty low wattage, too. 67 watt is very, 67 and 69, those are very low. Well, I guess they're really dependent on, uh, you know. On the um, lens. On the lens, and then using, you know, maybe like a a mirrored background, like a, you know, a mirrored surface or a uh, reflective bowl design that, that directs the light. I mean, that was critical for those, but... Man, that does seem like a low wattage, doesn't it? And and also, how often do you have to replace bulbs in your house? I mean, if you're turning the light on and off all the time, right, it's going to burn out quickly. It, yeah, because you're you're sitting there. Um, if you think of a bulb in your house as a traffic light, then just go stand by your light switch, count to, I don't know, count off sixty seconds, and be fair about it, and then switch it on for sixty seconds, then switch it off, and just do that. Forever and see how many switches it takes. Yeah, I bet it would uh, it would burn out super quick, and that's the problem with these old systems. So so cities are are you know quickly trying to convert over to the LED systems. Now, there's one problem that they are finding with the LED systems, and this is kind of a, a um, I guess it was unforeseen at the time. I don't think anybody really thought about this, but what's that? In cities where uh, there's snow, snow and ice, uh, the LED lenses don't create any heat like the uh, like the oh, incandescent bulbs so they can freeze over they do freeze over and oftentimes you know if there's a uh, a snowstorm that you know the wind is blowing and it attaches itself to the to the uh, to the lamp um you're going to see that you know the snow actually gathers on the lenses as opposed to the older older types where the incandescent bulb was enough heat to keep the uh you know that uh, that lens area free of snow and ice mm-hmm. and you can still see it through the snow it's a, it's a it's a faint glow but it's not a perfect way to do it. So they're finding ways to uh, to keep that off of that surface now. Right, and that is a new uh, a new item on the bill too for each of those lights. So clearly, the what what we're finding is the evolution of traffic lights is not complete. Right, mm-hmm. we haven't perfected it yet. Uh, but we're getting we, there. We have done some really cool stuff, Scott. I want to talk about how the uh how the traffic systems know when to turn green when to turn red how how do you herd all of these cats in, in other words mm-hmm. you know what i mean what what is traffic light control all right so control the intersections this can get a little bit tricky right so yeah. this is this could be um you know an intersection that is uh and i'll say it's off the grid it's just gone it's, rogue yeah i guess so i mean it's one that's you know maybe on the outskirts of town that's not part of the uh, the central controlled system uh, but it can maybe, if it's a modern one, it could be adaptable, and it could be adaptable to traffic patterns and, and right. times of day and things like that. But more than likely, if it's one that's not connected to everything else, it's likely one that just has a standard set of times that um, – and I don't know if it's fair to say that it's more than likely that, but um, the way I picture it would be right. is that it's one of the older type systems that has you know the big metal box next to it and can be manually controlled if they want it to, but – Typically, the way it runs is that, you know, like you said, 60 seconds on red, 60 seconds on green, 60 it's seconds like a, on red, 60 seconds on green. Yeah, it's like a um, a clockwork mechanism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the old way of doing it, I guess. And then the new way is with these modern controllers that sense traffic, you know, and that's via detection. Uh, like signal devices. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, whether that's, uh, you know, infrared, it's uh, it's radar, it's microwave systems that, that just count 
vehicles as they go through. And it says, well, there's a lot of traffic headed north and south. I'm going to, I'm going to keep uh, north and south running freely here. And there's less traffic coming from east to west. I'm going yeah. to, uh, I'm going to maybe slow that down. So, you know, that, that cycle doesn't go through quite as often or that phase doesn't mm-hmm. go through quite as often. And if you're a traffic controller, that's, that's the phrase you use. You use the concept of phases. And this is a group of movements across various traffic lights grouped together. So there might be two phases at a regular intersection. There's the northwest phase, or the, excuse me, the north-south phase and the east-west phase. Okay, and I've seen this a couple of different ways, Ben. So mm-hmm. I know the way you're describing is, is one way, but then other people say, no, one phase is one individual movement. The other people say, no, it's uh, it's grouped together. Like if someone's coming north and south, that's one phase. Right. They might see it as that's two phases, actually. So uh, it, it depends on who you see or who's writing this, you know, whether it's a traffic engineer or if it's a, uh, I don't know, a different type of engineer. Yeah. Um, they might they might look at this differently. That's but the phases point. can be, you know, either vehicular phases or they could be pedestrian phases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there could be a, uh, you know, where all all signals are red. And they allow what they call a, uh, is it a Barnes dance move? Is that right? Is that what I'm thinking of? <laughs> Wait, okay, describe it so you can make sure. Okay, here's what I'm, here's what I've, I've heard. Barnes dance, I think. And I think that's the name. I'm going to search for that in just all a right. second here, but, um, that is where all traffic lights turn red in an intersection and pedestrians are allowed to go not only, you know, across the street, whichever direction, you know, corner to corner, they're allowed to go diagonally as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, also known as a pedestrian scramble. A pedestrian that's, scramble. That's what I had. Was I right yeah. with Barnes Dance? You were absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, it sounds funny like Barn Dance, but <laughs> but it is, it's it's almost like uh, pedestrian chaos at some point. Right, yeah. And that is a, uh, that is an, uh, you know, Barnes Dance is an official thing of the name for uh, the engineer. I think his name is Barnes. It's big in Japan. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, it's named after Henry Barnes. Oh, okay, there you go. Uh, he was the guy who made it popular um, back in Colorado in the 40s. And I think Massachusetts uses that as well. And I've seen people kind of, uh, you know, illegally doing this, you know, that when they, they, <laughs> they must have studied the traffic because this is a dangerous move. Uh, if you, you're crossing diagonally across a busy intersection in a city, that's a dangerous move. But if you know that it's going to be one of these Barnes dance situations mm-hmm. or a uh, pedestrian scramble, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Right. I mean, I've seen that happen, I guess, when a, uh, you know, police officer stops all, all forms of traffic. Yeah. And lets that happen. But I, uh, I mean, to have it a controlled stop to do it that way, that's really unusual. To have it be a routine thing. Yeah. You have to have a very high, uh, pedestrian density in your city. So like the, so this I could see working in London and, uh, Tokyo, maybe. Yeah. And then again, I mean, just as we said, these signal controllers are controlling all of this. You know, the, the vehicle, uh, you know, the vehicular phases, the pedestrian phases, you know, the, the intervals of the lights, uh, you know, how long that they, they remain lit or unlit. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the controlled or what they call protected left turns. Uh, they're controlling all of that. And that's all different phases. And I think that there are even different, uh, different rings within those phases, uh, which is a, a completely different ball of wax. But, um, Man, there's there's so much here, Ben. Right. I, I don't. I think we'll get lost in the weeds if we start to go down the phase path because that's yeah. something you almost have to see um, a whole chart to understand what we're talking about. But but you know, some sections, some intersections can have up to eight phases per intersection. Right. And then within those eight phases, these different rings that operate, and uh-huh. it, it really does get complex. I mean, and, and without being able to to visually depict this, yeah, is difficult. Yeah, and they loop in with other systems as well. And Think of, if we want to use um, an analogy, uh, think of the controllers of these traffic systems, the human minds behind this, as these composers 
of this incredibly complex symphony, right? Mm-hmm. And they're arranging things, uh, and, and they're, they're often, uh, unappreciated by the people who just pass by and hear the music. Oh, absolutely. It takes a real talent to be able to, uh, kind of lay all this stuff out and make it, have it make sense. And, and then I know that the systems now are smart enough that they kind of self adapt. Once they set it up initially, uh, that, you know, the systems then do kind of take control of that intersection. Uh, yeah. you know, the system says, well, like I said before, it counts traffic. It counts the number of cars that go through it. Uh, it, it determines, you know, via inductive loops below the, uh, below the, the, mm-hmm. the surface of the street, uh, when a vehicle's there and if it should even, um, induce that, that protected left-hand turn or not. And sometimes I, I encounter this on the way home. There's a, there's several lights that I know that if I don't get to the turn lane and I'm not parked in the turn lane, uh, you know, maybe let's say 10 seconds prior to the light on my side turning green. Oh yeah. Then you won't get the signal. I won't get the left-hand turn signal. And, and it, it, it's sort of frustrating, but, but I just know it. I know to expect it at this point. In fact, the one that's right outside of my, my neighborhood does this. Uh-huh. And it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I've just come to understand and I didn't even, you know, read about it or anything like that. You just understand it after going through this intersection, you know, 100 times or something, you get the feel for what's going on there. Yeah. I think every, uh, it's funny because I think every town, at least every small town that I have lived in or spent time with, has one or two traffic lights famous for being just a pain in the keister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was one um, which was right by, right, right across from a Walmart. And this was years and years ago. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed 
changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy, yeah. right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I had been passing through town, Scott, and it was very late. And it was about three in the morning. I had just, I, I had been doing like a concert thing. And it sure. was like three in the morning, heading home, just trying to get to the interstate. I'm waiting at this um, normally a very large intersection, but because it was three in the morning and this is a relatively smaller area, it was, it was abandoned. Mm-hmm. And, and so I sat there for what, like eight, 10 minutes. I started thinking about like society and stuff and how brainwashed I am that I'm <laughs> sitting here in an empty road for a red light. A police officer drives by and like flashes his lights real quick. And then, you know, I think, well, great. This night did get worse. I was surprised. And uh, I'm like, well, I guess I should pull over something. But he rolls his window down. And he's just like, don't pay attention to this light. Just go. It's just, it's going to be red all night. No kidding. Yeah, he was like, how long have you been here? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I think most uh, cities, like you said, most cities have that one or two lights that has a bad reputation like that. I mean, that, you know, is, is timed way too long one way and way too short the other yeah. way. When it should be the opposite. And this this officer was like, he was clearly, this was not the first time he told somebody, but he was clearly pretty amused mm-hmm. because <laughs> I didn't tell him how long I had been there. That's funny, you know, that it works that way. But, you know, yeah. I've also noticed that there's one close to my house, the one prior to the one I'm talking about, you know, like uh-huh. the, the, the one I approached just before that. You're going through the that, um Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, but... But I understand that, you know, like the, the main road, the main stretch that, uh, that it covers is the road that typically has more traffic. So it's always green on that side when I approach. Right. But um, I'll tell you, it's really good that when I approach and I, and I do stop there and I'm the only car around, you know, the, like at the yeah. other side of the road, there's a park and I'm, you know, behind me is a school. Yeah. And, you know, there's times when it's very busy, but at the time that I'm going home, it's not very busy at all. And I usually would think, well, I'm going to be stuck here. But as soon as I pull up, it, it changes almost immediately for me. So it's a it's a really good system. The cameras are aimed right or the right. inductive loop or whatever is yeah. working correctly. And it's nice when that happens. But you're right. There's sometimes when that does not happen. How, how about this? Here's another little situation that could be maddening. Okay. Let's say that, uh, well, we, we're pretty uh, we're pretty lucky here, I think, in, in Atlanta in that. And, and maybe you haven't even recognized this. I don't know. But when the lights change here in Atlanta, Almost every single intersection, I mean, w- with very few exceptions, mm-hmm. the left-hand, you know, protected left-hand turn always goes first. Oh, yeah, you yeah. You know, like, so it may be that, you know, the, the, the through traffic gets a green and you get the green signal to go as well. But more often than not, it's just the uh, the, the protected left goes first, then, you know, the uh, and, and then the rest of the traffic is allowed to go. And it's almost always that way. So you know exactly what to expect when the light changes that, you know, okay, the left people are going to go sure. first than me. And in other cities, it's not like that. What's it like? It's, it's just everything. I mean, it, you know, it could either be the left turn goes first or it could be that, you know, the through traffic goes first or, um, you know, the, any other situation, but it's, it, but there's no consistency to it. Oh. And I think that, you know, once you're kind of, uh, spoiled to something like that, you don't realize it until you travel to another city, and then it's like, well, what's going on with the lights here? It's so it's so different. It's so unusual. Yeah, uh, it's something you just don't typically think of until you've experienced something like what we have here in Atlanta. 
You know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe I've gone soft on my on my traffic light. Game, <laughs> maybe, you know? maybe. Uh, so uh, it looks like we're getting closer to time, and it's it's time for one of our uh, one of the most bittersweet things we do on every episode of Car Stuff. Scott, we each have to pick one more thing. One more thing. Okay, I'll try. Uh, I'll try to pick one more thing out of my huge list here. I, we are not getting to even half of my notes. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got a bunch of stuff up here too, um, and I I don't know how we're gonna do it. Um, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'll tell you what, I'll go first, and you can wrap up the whole thing. How about that? All right, are you sure? I am positive. Okay, All right, so let's let's, uh, let's talk about light timing in particular, yellow light timing, because this is a sore subject for a lot of people. This is a huge sore subject. Okay. All right. I just have to say, in defense of everybody who's gotten a ticket for running, quote unquote, running a red light, and I'm I'm right there with you guys. Uh, it's not always the case. A lot of that is a lot of that is uh, the issuing officer's discretion mm-hmm. and traffic, at least yellow light timing on traffic lights is by no means standardized nor created equal. And you and I, Scott, stumbled upon um, possible unethical behavior when we were looking into our red light camera uh, podcast. Yes, earlier. we did. Yeah, we did. Exactly right. And what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to add a second for, you know, if there is a, uh, um, if there is a red light camera, you're supposed to add one second of yellow. And many of the cases they were reducing, you know, reducing it by a second, right. taking away a second or even two seconds. So here's the, uh, the way it's supposed to be. There's supposed to be sort of a standard, but it's not exactly a standard. Um, uh, four or five seconds for a typical yellow light is, uh, is what you can expect here in the United States. I mean, that's, that's typical. Right. Uh, but three seconds is possible. That's kind of the, uh, the federal, allowed minimum is three seconds. Now, the way that it works here in Georgia is that the yellow light must be lit for exactly one second for every 10 miles per hour or 16 kilometers per hour of posted speed limit on that road. So you can calculate how long that yellow light is supposed to last based Mm -hmm. on the speed limit for that road. And I don't know if that really works out all the time. I mean, I've seen some that are, you know, seem to be way too short. Um, and again, I mentioned that, you know, if there's an intersection with a red light um, camera in, in operation, if they're supposed to add one second of yellow for that, uh, you know, for that particular intersection on top of the, uh, you know, the one second for every 10 miles per hour posted. Yeah. Now, in Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, they found that some of these lights, some of these yellow lights have been timed to just two seconds. Now, can you imagine a two second yellow light? That's not enough time to get through some of these bigger intersections. And the you know the federal safety minimum requires at least three seconds, and that's again that's a, that's there's a, there for a reason. That there's a, there's a reason three seconds is the minimum. I mean, for the right. bigger intersections, it takes that long sometimes for it to register for you to be able to clear the intersection safely before the next green cycle appears. And I also I also think that three seconds itself is too short because although you will hear that Atlanta traffic is bad and that is correct mm-hmm. um there are some there are some clear just um headcount issues number of car issues mm-hmm. uh, although that's true uh the people generally are not you know jerk drivers we don't have that mean reputation that some other cities have sure not naming names, but listeners, feel free to write in if you've got some picks. Yeah. Chicago. <laughs> and the, uh, the, um, the interesting thing, though, is that even in a place where people tend to be polite drivers, uh, 
everybody in a city, any city is going to push that yellow light. Yeah. And, you know, one one little uh, fail safe, I guess. I don't know if it's even a fail. I guess it would be for the police officers a fail safe. Uh-huh. They have something called confirmation lights at some intersections. And so that means that the the officer that's watching that intersection, you know, they're watching for a red light runner. It's not a camera system, but they're they're watching that intersection. They can see by a, uh, a white light that lights up. Uh, I think it's above or below the signal. It's a it's a small white light, so it's not confusing to any drivers or anything. But it will indicate if a car, a vehicle, is in the intersection when the light changed to red. Ah. So that if they're a distance away and they don't have to be within you know the the uh, the sight line of the red light uh-huh. to be able to see that the light was still red when they were not quite through the intersection, they can spot it from you know like maybe the uh, the. The, the parking lot that's kitty corner to that intersection. Uh-huh. And they can, you know, then pull somebody over. So that's, uh, that's another little law enforcement trick that you might want to watch out for, I guess. It's not really a trick. It's just more of a, uh, a way for them to, uh, be able to monitor that section, um, you know, from a distance. Yeah. And ultimately, I'm going to say there's nothing wrong with it because again, uh, following traffic lights, does matter. It's what keeps society together, Ben. It's, it's, it really does. I mean, otherwise, you know, it's the old thing. The cats living with dogs, you know, the whole thing. Right? Yeah, traffic lights. Are you saying traffic lights well, are, you know, are the staple on the comic well, book that me, is society? Let me put it this way. All right, we all understand that, you know, when that red light's there, we stop our 4,000-pound machine at a uh, at a painted line on the road, and we right. allow... We allow other 4,000-pound machines or more mm-hmm. to cross through that intersection where we would have been obliterated had we just decided to ignore that red light, right? Yeah. So this is a strange thing, right? I mean, we and, – and there are other things like this that I think about too. Like we're on a two-lane road right. and there's a yellow line painted down the middle, you know, where you're not supposed to cross that line. I think about that too, how I, how fragile that, that line is. Like how – what are – I'm sorry I'm interrupting, but this is such a big thing. Like what – what are people going to think 400 years in the future when someone explains uh, high-speed traffic to them and then you – well, probably won't be high-speed then. but And then you say, like, well, why didn't you guys hit each other? And you say, well, I mean, we hit each other all the time, but we had this honor system of these painted lines. Yeah, you don't, you don't cross that painted line. I mean, jeez, no. I, mean, I mean, but it seems funny when you think about it like that. I mean, there's – and I know there's different ways to think about this whole sure. thing. But, but we all just kind of uh, – well, at this point – and I'll say mindlessly, but we 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 mindlessly obey these uh, these red, green, yellow lights. But it's a good thing that we do. And you know, yeah, it's a very it's a very good thing. And the here's my one more thing: the the story of traffic lights continues, and a lot of the technology that we have seen slowly filtering its way into into other parts of the world is coming to your local traffic light, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, smart traffic lights. Right. Are, mm-hmm. are these uh, here's this idea that the traffic lights at the next intersections in your town uh, might be able to do something kind of like artificial intelligence, be able to communicate to each other uh, with a little bit more, I, I guess, sophistication. Uh, wait, wait. So the the lights are communicating with other lights instead of the, the one central computer controlling right. What yeah. happens between this one and that one? Yeah. So the huh. I, the idea is that um, there are these professors and students at Carnegie Mellon University uh, who've got a pilot project going on in Pennsylvania now in Pittsburgh. And the idea is that if they have what they call a dynamic control system where these lights can talk to each other, uh, BMW and Siemens are helping develop this, by the way, um, then they will be able to reduce the time that people spend in traffic. Hmm. And and reduce emissions. But as a selfish person, let me just point out that I put 
the most important one first in that list. <laughs> um, so, so it is, it is possible that, uh, very soon traffic light games are going to change entirely. And if you have a, fo- a smartphone, you can also check to find some apps that claim to uh, reduce the time you will spend in traffic. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, they like they claim to help you beat red lights. Red lights. Yeah, but okay. uh, but there, you know, there's some other things like we had we had mentioned some of those um, apps that that'll help you drive like Waze or GPS stuff, and that's that's a whole different story. But um, guys, I think we have to get out of here for today. Uh, Isn't this crazy? I mean, this is a shame. All right. So it's 50. Well, we're about 58 or 59 minutes into this thing, something like that, close to an hour. Right. I I really have touched maybe a third of my notes. I was going to say maybe 32 percent. (laughs) Yeah. 32 percent. Very specific. Ben. yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's a shame that we're not going to be able to get all this out there. I mean, maybe we should do a second part. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But how about not right now? Let's uh, let's regroup. Yeah, because I've mine are scattered all over the place now because we just started to pick and choose things. But right. uh, but yeah, there's a lot more here. We didn't even get to talk about how accidents sometimes go up when a light uh, is installed. Uh, uh, we didn't get to talk about emergency vehicles and how they can control lights in oh, cities. Oh, that's right. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. By the way, I had no idea mm-hmm. until I read this. I mean, it's really unusual. Um, we didn't talk about, you didn't talk about, uh, light lens sizes. No, we didn't talk about the standards cause, uh, they're going a strange direction in the UK. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, we didn't talk about how like the three methods of operation. We didn't, t- there, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I know it gets, uh, you know, kind of down into the weeds and maybe some of it's a little bit boring, but hopefully we've kept your attention along the way and, mm. and maybe you'll take this opportunity to investigate just a little bit further you know, something that you found interesting here because uh, there, yeah. there's plenty of interesting stuff and you wouldn't guess that on the surface, but there really is. If you dig just a little deeper, mm-hmm. and this is the way with so many of our topics, if you go just a little bit deeper, there's there's so much out there, you would be astounded, uh, you know, just how much information is out there about the simple traffic light. Yeah, and you uh, can also, in the meantime, uh, check out our website, carstuffshow.com, where you can find all the podcasts we've ever done, including a recent one we did on road signs, which has a lot in common with some of the stuff about traffic lights. Yeah, and then there were, we did one that was also called, um, Can Your Car Tell You When the Light's About to Change? And that was, ah, yes. that was focused on that Audi system. So mm-hmm. there's another whole angle to this whole thing. There's, a, there's just so much of it. Yeah, so we're going to head out. You should you should check those out if you get a chance. And uh, follow Scott and I on uh, Facebook and Twitter where we're Car Stuff HSW. If you have some ideas, if you are a traffic engineer uh, with some tips for the average driver, then uh, you know, or if you just if you have a bad light in your neighborhood in your neck of the woods and you want to tell us about it, uh, then we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us directly at Car Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. 
with so many options for reducing carbon emissions. Toyota is electrified, diversified. Oh, oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.